0: And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. How many of you out there, and remember, God is watching, uh, struggle with prayer sometimes? I'm going to tell you what I told the first people. You're either lying or you didn't hear the question. The ones that didn't raise your hands, um, yeah, we struggle, and that's what this passage is about. It's Jesus is encouraging us, encouraging us to be persistent in prayer, to hang in there, and to keep going. Uh, and one of the most difficult aspects of prayer is persevering when it seems that God is not answering. Uh, Jesus instructed for us to pray that the Father's kingdom would come and His will be done. Uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And yet here we are some 2,000 years later, and that prayer prayed by millions of people, millions of time uh, down through the centuries is still not answered. Uh, In spite of years, uh, many years uh, of prayer and missionary efforts, uh, some of the Muslim, Buddhist, and Hindu sections of the world uh, seem as resistant to the gospel as ever. And so it's easy to become discouraged about praying for world missions. Now, on a personal level, level, all of us have requests that we have brought before God for years, requests that from our point of view would, would bring Him glory if He answered them, and yet it seems like God isn't answering His phone. It's as if He's ghosted us and left us alone. And in light of these problems, it's easy to lose hope and to actually give up on praying. The Lord Jesus knew the weakness of our flesh. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? He goes out to pray and he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And then he says he goes and he tells them to stay there and pray. And he goes a stone's throw distance away and he prays. What's happening when he gets back the first time? They're asleep. And he says, Yes, the uh, spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. God knows this. Jesus knows the weakness of our flesh and that we are prone to lose heart. In light of that he graciously gave his disciples and us this parable to show that they and we ought always to pray and to not lose heart. Now this instruction fits rather well with the preceding context where the Lord told his disciples that the days would come when he would long when they would long to see him and they would not see him. And during the time between his ascension when he left the earth and his second coming the world would go on in its disregard for God, much as it had in the days of, of Noah and Lot. Remember, we talked a little bit about them last week. And the church would be much like this widow, left without her heavenly bridegroom, much maligned and persecuted by the ungodly. Well, during this time of waiting and struggle, how can saints persevere? How can we keep on? Jesus shows that we will persevere as we persist in believing prayer. And so to persist persist in prayer, to pray always and to not lose heart, we must properly understand both God and ourselves. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer now. Father, we are grateful for another opportunity to uh, break your word open and see what you've got for us. And Father, we're talking about just being persistent in prayer. Father, we're all challenged at times. So I pray that you just give us wisdom that we can hear these words, understand them. And Father, uh, that we would be better at persisting in prayer until the day you come. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God has promised that His Messiah, uh, the Son of Man, will return one day in power and great glory, and He will judge the earth, and He will vindicate His people. But in the interim, in the meantime, as we wait for His promises to be fulfilled, if we want not to lose heart, then we must pray always. So that's point number one. At all times, we ought to pray. Now, over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, in just two or three quick little words, pray without ceasing. Now, most of us think immediately, uh, that's impossible. I've got to go to work for at least eight hours a day. Uh, I've got to pay my bills, eat my meals, talk to my spouse, do homework with my kids, uh, take care of my house, my lawn, my car, you name it, a hundred other things that we have to do every week. How can I possibly pray without ceasing? What am I supposed to do? Join a monastery or something? Well, Jesus molded us, or modeled for us, that kind of life that we're to live in dependence on the Father. As we look at his life, he didn't live in a desert as a hermit so that he could spend all of his time praying around the clock. Rather, prayer was something that Jesus frequ- frequently engaged in, even though, in one sense, of all the people who ever lived on this earth, Jesus had the least need to pray. He didn't have to wrestle with the inner lusts of the flesh as we do. You remember, he was born without sin. He lived a sinless life. And yet, we find that he prayed often. He prayed as the Holy Spirit descended on him in his baptism. You remember that? He would often slip away from the crowds into the wilderness to spend time alone with the Lord. He spent the whole night in prayer the night before he chose his disciples. It was just after we was praying that Peter made his confession that yes, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God. It was while he was on the mountain praying that he was transfigured before Peter, Paul, and, and uh, Peter, James, and John, excuse me. And on the night of his betrayal, Jesus not only prayed for Peter that his faith would not uh, fail, but he also uh, ardently play, prayed in prayer, sweating those great drops of blood in Gethsemane, as he wrestled with becoming our sin bearer. Now, when the Apostle Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, the word he used was also used of repeated military assaults. The army would attack and then withdraw and regroup, and then they would uh, attack again and again and again until they achieved the victory. And that's how we are to pray. The word was also used of a hacking cough. How many of you ever had a hacking cough? Something you just can't get rid of. But you don't cough 24 hours a day, do you? No, what it means is, Uh, you call frequently and repeatedly. Well, that's how we are to pray. Now, while we should all be in a spirit of communion with God at all times, there should be a number of times during the day when we stop and we bring our specific requests and burdens or even praises to God in prayer. Sometimes, especially in times of great need, we ought to set aside longer times to devote ourselves to prayer. But whatever else we do at all times, we ought to pray. Now, that word ought there, that has the idea of necessity. Prayer is not an optional activity for the more committed. It's a necessity for every believer because it acknowledges our total dependence on God. Not to pray is actually arrogance because I'm saying, really, thanks God, but I can handle this on my own. And the truth is, uh, we can't handle anything by ourselves apart from God and His grace and power. So, at all times, we ought to pray. But, number two, we are prone to lose heart and to give up on praying. Well, Jesus knew that, and, and that's why He told this parable. Now, this parable and the next parable are the only ones where the purpose of the parable is given up front, so we know why the parable is being given. Jesus knew that we are weak, and in the fa- and in the face of His delayed return, when we may be just laughed at by the world because of our faith, we would be prone to lose heart and stop praying. Now, there are a number of reasons that we are prone to lose heart and, and quit praying. One of them I just mentioned. Sometimes we are su- we assume that we are competent to handle things in our own strength. Now, this is especially a danger where it's a task that we do repeatedly. When we hop in the car and head off on a trip without a thought of prayer, we've done so because we've driven safely for many years. We forget that we depend on the Lord for our protection. Yeah, we may be able to be dry fine, but what about the other wacko? We need prayer, right? We go to work every day, we do our jobs without prayer because we know how to do our jobs. We forget that we are dependent on God to do our jobs competently. If God has given you a strong, natural ability, whatever it might be, it's easy to do it without prayer because you know how to do it and you do it well. But there's another major reason that we are prone to lose heart and to quit praying. That's number three. A main reason we lose heart in prayer is because of the, of the delays in God's answers. Now in the context, this is the source of discouragement that Jesus is actually addressing. He knew that His coming would be delayed to the point that is His disciples would long to see Him come But he wouldn't come. And during his absence, they would be mocked and rejected just like Noah and Lot were. Some would be persecuted to the point of death. Others would go through awful hardships. And he knew that from our, our limited human perspective, it often seems that God is not answering or even listening when we pray because we don't see things from his eternal perspective. And so he told this parable to show that at all times we ought to pray and not lose heart. Now, the parable has two main characters. Uh, The first is this wicked judge who cares about no one but himself. He even knows that he's a scoundrel. When he thinks about uh, this pesky woman, he admits in his own mind that he does not fear God, nor does he respect man. But he just wants to get rid of her to gain some relief. She was annoying him to the point that he says, literally, the Greek, she's going to give me a black eye. Now, that doesn't mean that she's actually beating on him, but rather that he felt emotionally beat up by her nonstop nagging. How many of you. No, we won't go there. The second character is the needy widow. In that society, widows were especially vulnerable, there were very few vocational uh, opportunities for women there weren't many jobs available life insurance was not existent so she was really stuck with whatever it was that her husband had left her but now some other scoundrel has cheated her out of what little she had to live on so she comes to the judge and she asks for justice will you do something about this now he takes one look at her <laughs> And he figures that she's not going to give me much of a bribe, and I've got plenty of other people who will, will reward me handsomely if I take their cases. So he tells, uh, he, he he refuses to give her any help. He tells the bailiff to escort her out of court, and he assumes, well, that's it. I won't see her again. Wrong. Uh, he no sooner leaves the courtroom to go home for lunch, and then this woman dogs his steps all the way to his house. When he comes out and goes back to work, there she is. When he go home, goes home at night. She's there again. Every morning, she's parked at the door of the courthouse waiting for him to show up. Every day, he tells her to get lost, but she keeps coming back. He simply can't get rid of her. She's beginning to dominate his life. In fact, he begins to hate going to work because he's going to be confronted by this nagging woman. Finally, after, year, after weeks of going on like this, he says to himself, even though don't fear God, and I don't care a thing about this woman, I'm going to grant her request just to get her off of my back. Now, we understand that, right? But listen to what Jesus says. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Hear it. In other words, there's a lesson to be learned from this situation about persevering in prayer when God seems to be delaying the answer. Well, number four, the answer to the problem of delays is to have a proper view of God and a proper view of ourselves. At first, we need a proper view of God. Uh, we'd be greatly mistaken if we thought that Jesus was teaching that God is like this self-centered, callous judge. That would run counter to the entire biblical revelation of the character of God as a loving and tender father in relation to his children. Now Jesus uses this uh, humorous example as an argument from the lesser to the greater and uh, taken to absurd lengths. If this widow could get justice from this hardened, crusty, uncaring old judge, doesn't it follow that the loving, tender, gracious Heavenly Father will hear and answer his own children whom he has chosen when they cry out to him for relief. Now, there are four things here that we need to know about God. Number one, God cares about us. He cares for us. In Psalm 103, David writes, Just as the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. Through Isaiah, God says, Zion has said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Now that's Israel speaking. That's what Zion is saying. The Lord has just forsaken me. Then God asks a question. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? He's saying, even you you humans, the mothers have compassion for their children. He says, even these may forget. Even these mothers may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. We know what he's talking about. To a persecuted church, some of whose members Nero's had covered with pitch and lit up as a torch to light his garden parties, Peter wrote, humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So even when you're suffering terribly, keep in mind that God is totally unlike this uncaring judge. God cares for you. Well, number two, God never delays answers because of a lack of care or a lack of power. Now, though, although even in this lifetime we may not understand the reasons why God delays to answer our cries of agony. We can know for certain that He never delays the answer because He doesn't care for us or because He doesn't have enough power to accomplish it. He's able to do far more than we ask or even can think. That's what Paul tells us, even if it seems impossible to us. Now, because He's omniscient, God knows even the needs that you don't bring to Him. How about that? Even if you don't know that you need to be praying about this, God knows those needs. Because he's omnipresent, he can deal with your needs in Crawfordville right here at the very same time that he's dealing with some needy saint that's all the way over in China. Because he's omnipotent, he has plenty of power to go around. Meeting your needs won't drain his supply at all. Well, number three, God's delays are always for our good, even if the reasons are hidden from us. Now, the reason for the delay with the widow was that the unjust judge was unwilling. But that's never the reason with our loving Heavenly Father. The unjust judge was acting out of selfish motives all the way, even when he finally granted her, her request. He just wanted to get her off his back. But God always acts out of self-sacrificing love. And that seems supreme, seen supremely in the cross of Christ. Now, this judge was only concerned for his own relief, but God acts out of wise concern for the well-being of his people. Four-year-old Caitlin was impatient for a sibling. One morning she told her mother, maybe if we both prayed out loud to God, he would hear us. So they prayed together. As soon as they finished, uh, Caitlin says, what did he say? What did he say? Well, her mother explained that it doesn't work like that, and sometimes it takes a long time to get an answer. Caitlin was indignant. Do you mean we were just praying to a voicemail? Sometimes it seems that way, way, doesn't it? Now, God doesn't usually explain in advance why He is delaying the answers to our requests. But we need to cling to the fact that His delays are always good for us even if we don't understand the reason why. Now, we talked about this on Wednesday night for just a little bit. I want to interject that here. When God doesn't answer our prayers immediately, one of the things that's going on here is He's giving us the opportunity to walk by faith. If God literally answered every prayer you had on the spot, it wouldn't be long before we'd be walking by sight. We'd just name it and we'd have it. Paul says we don't walk by sight. We're to walk by faith. So when He's not answering, we trust that He is still there. We trust that He is still sovereign. We trust that He still hears us. So when He delays in answering, it's giving you an opportunity to walk by faith. Well, the fourth uh, thing that we need to know about God is that God ultimately will bring swift and certain justice for His elect. Now, Jesus says he asks, will will he delay long over them? And then he answers emphatically, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. Now the first question, it's a little difficult to interpret. It can mean, as translated, that God will not delay in bringing justice. Or it can mean that he'll be patient. And that's patient in the sense of not becoming irritated with his children's frequent requests. That's what was bugging the judge. But it doesn't it doesn't bother God. And he will honor their request by vindicating them in due time. But what does Jesus mean when he says that justice will come speedily? Here we are almost, almost 2,000 years later and Jesus has not returned to rescue his needy people. We all know the stories of faithful saints who have prayed for something all of their lives but their prayers were unanswered. What does speedily mean? Well, we must understand it from God's timetable, not ours. David tells us that with with the Lord, uh, a thousand years are like a day or like a watch in the night. He told Noah that there would be a flood. But a hundred years went by without a drop of rain while Noah endured just his mocking neighbors. God promised Abraham a son from Sarah. But he watched Sarah go through menopause. And then he waited 25 years for Isaac to be born. He promised Joseph through his dreams in his teenage years that his father and his brothers would bow down to him. And yet he spent his entire 20s in an Egyptian dungeon. He promised to deliver his people from bondage in Egypt. But 400 long years went by before God raised up Moses, and that only after Moses spent 40 years in the desert uh, after his initial failure. God promised to send his Messiah, but his people had to wait 400 years after the last prophet, before God had sent his Son, as Paul says, in the fullness of time. That fullness of time arrived when Jesus was born, but there was a 400-year span of silence. So speedily by God's calendar, it's not speedily by ours. We talked about this on Wednesday night as well. Has God ever answered a prayer of yours before you expected it? It does happen, and I understand that. Sometimes before you're even able to verbalize it, God answers. Sometimes we don't know what to say, the Spirit prays, and God answers. But, by and large, what's the timetable on our... Who who gets too high of expectations, us or God? It's us. Rarely does He do things on our timetable. Well, that's what we're talking about here. Um, God's timetable is different than ours. So one answer to the problem of delayed answers to our prayers is to really get a proper perspective perspective on God. But we also need a proper view of ourselves. And there's four things that we see about ourselves here in this this passage. Number one, we're often grieved by mistreatment and difficult trials. Now, the church, it's like this widow who, who had not only lost her husband, but then she had to contend with someone who was taking... Uh, unfair advantage of her. Somewhere we have gotten the silly notion that if we follow the Lord, everything in life will work out neatly and will have a nice storybook ending. If you've walked with the Lord at all for any length of time, you know that is not the case. The Bible shows us plenty of saints who were tortured, mocked, scourged, put in chains, imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two, put to death with a sword. They went about in animal skins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Then the author of Hebrews tells us this, and all these, having gained approval through their faith, through what they had done, did not receive what was promised. Hmm. Well, It's just a fact. We are often grieved by mistreatment and difficult trials. Number two, we should persistently bring our heartfelt needs to God. Now, like this widow, we should cry out day and night to our Father in heaven. Now, she had no attorney, no advocate to plead her case, but we have the Holy Spirit to help us pray as we ought, and we have the Lord Jesus Himself interceding for us at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. She had no guarantee of getting what she desired. But we have the Lord's promise that whatever we ask in His name, He will do it. Now what made this widow persist is that she knew her great need. Okay, Her need uh, uh, drove her persistence. Sometimes the Lord delays to answer us because we don't really see how needy we are until He keeps us waiting for a little while. And the longer the wait, the more we recognize our need. It's only when we sense our insufficiency that we begin to pray, as Calvin puts it, with an earnest, nay, burning desire to attain it. Well, number three, we must trust Him even when the answers are delayed. And this gets back to the faith issue. Sometimes He is waiting like a patient farmer until the fruits of godliness and faith and humility uh, you know, in our hearts is ripe before He grants the requests. Jesus says that when He returns, He will be looking for faith on the earth. But the implication is that it is a scarce commodity. In fact, the Greek expects a negative answer. So while the world may scoff uh, because God seemingly neglects His saints, surely we ought to cling to Him. In faith. Well, number four, we can trust him because we know that we are his elect. Jesus refers to his people here as the elect. In fact, 47 times in the New Testament, saints are referred to as the elect. Now, this means that you don't follow Jesus because you first chose him, but because he first chose you. He chose you totally apart from anything that He saw in you. He didn't choose you because He saw a spark of goodness in you. He didn't choose you because He saw that you would choose Him on down the road. He chose you unconditionally while you were a rebellious sinner so that His unmerited favor would shine more brightly through you. Now, if you don't believe in the doctrine of God's sovereign, unconditional election, then you're not believing what Jesus states rather clearly here, and you really rob yourself of a great source of comfort. Even when God's answers to your prayers are delayed, you can trust Him knowing that you are one of His elect. Now, I haven't had time to deal with the problem of when to stop praying for something that God is granting or isn't granting. It's not an easy question. Paul faced this. Do you remember? Uh, three times, he had a thorn in the flesh. He had this vision, and uh, he said, as a result, I received a thorn in the flesh so that I wouldn't be lifted up. He was shown things that he can't talk about. That's how big of a revelation it was of God, it would easily puff him up. So God gave him a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh was. Is, or was. Three times, he prays for God to remove the thorn in the flesh. And what did God tell him? Nope. that's another thing we need to understand. Uh, The whole time I've been talking, we've been assuming that God is going to answer yes at some point. You know that God says no sometimes, right? That's what He told Paul. No, my grace is sufficient for you. Meaning you're going to live with this thorn in the flesh, and it's going to remind you that you need me. Sometimes God's answer is no. Sometimes He gives us an inner assurance that it's going to be answered yes, and our, and our praying turns to praise. That's a good thing when that happens. Sometimes He removes the burden from our hearts and we move to other requests. The Lord told Jeremiah to stop praying for disobedient Israel because He had de- determined judgment against them. Stop praying for them, I'm fixing to judge them. And so He did. But often He wants us, like this nagging widow... To keep on asking until we receive what we need. And that's a a great word there. To understand the difference between what we need and what we want. I think the more those align up, what you need and what you want, the more conformed you're becoming uh, into the image of the Son. When your wants are here, and this is what you're praying for, but your needs are here, uh, God's got to work on you. He's got a work to do in you. Our needs and our wants should be synonymous. Uh, David says, um, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. So it's not a matter of saying, I'm a Christian, give me this. No, it's I'm your child, give me what I need. And He will. He will. So, um, like, you know, he, 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 He... Sometimes He wants us to keep on asking, just like this widow, until we receive what we need. Now, God isn't like that, un, that uncaring, that reluctant judge. God cares for us and is more than ready to grant our request when He knows that we are ready to receive the answer. So keep on praying. Don't lose heart. He will bring about justice for you speedily, according to His timetable and not necessarily yours. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to dive into Your Word. Uh, Lord, these words are coming from Your Son, Jesus, and we trust that they are truth. And He's told us in in John 8 that the Lord will know the truth, and truth will set us free. So I pray that You would help us as as we struggle at times in our prayer lives, Father, to be uh, persistent, to persevere in believing prayer. Father, uh, change our hearts, God. Give us a desire to spend that time with You. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to give you a chance this morning to respond. It could be that you're sitting out here. I want to ask, uh, we've been talking about praying. It's in the same chapter that we're in, Luke 18. It's a little bit later where we're going to get the story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. You've heard me talk about it many a time. And uh, it's really, you've heard of people, you know, praying a prayer of salvation. This is the only prayer of salvation that that is recorded for us in Scripture. Uh, Jesus is telling a story of two people, a Pharisee and a publican. Now a publican in the eyes of... his, This was an Israelite who was a tax man. Who was he taking the tax for? Romans. Not only was he taking money from the Israelites to give to the Romans, he was lining his pockets with it. So publicans, the tax collectors, they were hated. They were hated. He was a sinner. So they're in the temple and the Pharisee is standing up and he says, oh Lord. He begins with thanksgiving. But listen to what he's thankful for. I thank you that I am not like other men. Whew, he just got taller. I wish I could really get up there. He says, I, I fast twice a week. And I give a tenth of all I own. That's, that's good. You're supposed to do that. But do you see the pride in that statement? I thank you that I'm not like other men. And he's kind of... Pointing at the dude next to him, the publican. The publican, on the other hand, is on the floor. He's on his knees. He's beating his breast. That's a sign of contrition. He can't even lift his eyes to look up. He prays a one line prayer. He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I think we may have talked about this last week. When somebody calls out for mercy, what are they admitting? They're guilty. You only call for mercy when you're caught. When you recognize your guilt, you have no other recourse. Have mercy. I'm guilty. Have mercy. He's on the ground. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you ever been on the ground before God on your knees, beating your breast because you know you stand guilty before God. Maybe you're at that point now and you need to just say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He'll hear you. He'll, he'll <laughs> display that. He'll give you that mercy and He'll bring, bring you into His kingdom and make you a child of His. If you don't know Jesus, that's how you need to come to Him today, asking for the mercy of God. If you're if you're a believer, I hope that you've just been encouraged this morning in a couple different ways. Understand that if you struggle in prayer for any reason at any time, it's not unique to you. <laughs> Solomon's the one that said there's nothing new under the sun, right? No, we all struggle with it at times. Take a little encouragement at that in that that, that you're not out there on an the island by yourself. No, this is common to man, common to Christianity. But also understand that God says what you're supposed to do is keep praying. Uh, He's the one in control. It gives you a chance to demonstrate a little faith. Even if we don't know why he's delaying the answers, Scripture assures us it's for our good. God has it under control, so keep going to him with your petitions. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.